Hey, I want to welcome you to the very first episode of this new era of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. My name is Jason. I'm a church planner in Vancouver, and I'm part of the leadership team at Alpha Canada. And I'm passionate about the church in Canada. Like, I'm full of hope when I think about our future together. And I believe that these conversations that we're having here as church leaders, as we try and figure out what it looks like to make disciples of Jesus in the middle of an increasingly post-Christian, ever-changing world, that they're not only important for us here, but also for pastors around the world. And I'm thrilled to share today's interview because our first guest of this new chapter is Kerry Newhoff, and he's likely not a new name to anyone listening. He pioneered this podcast several years ago, actually, and had it on hold for the last while. And after a spontaneous conversation that we had last May, we decided to get it up and running again. So here's a bit about Kerry. He's the founding pastor of Connexus Church in Ontario, Canada. He's the host of the Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast, which I think has statistically about a gazillion listeners every week. And he's the author of a ton of really helpful books, including his most recent one, Didn't See It Coming. And Kerry is a leader of leaders. His regular content is helping tens of thousands of pastors and business leaders every day. And I just wanted to make a quick note before we jump into today's conversation. We recorded this in late March as things were escalating every day around the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's been really interesting trying to record conversations for this podcast in the midst of this because the news changes every day and we're learning new information and the experiences are often hitting closer and closer to home for our guests and for all of our listeners. So I just wanted to kind of set that as the backdrop. These are sensitive and profound times and I'm grateful for voices like Carrie's in a moment like this. Today's conversation explores questions we're all wrestling with, like, what are the opportunities in front of us in the midst of COVID-19? What are the challenges we might not even be aware of? How do we lead our teams while we're scattered in homes across the city? And what is on the horizon for the church in Canada and the church around the world? Welcome to the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. We want to serve church leaders and their teams by sharing honest and thoughtful conversations about pastoral leadership. In this podcast, we were exploring the question, what does it mean to lead people in the way of Jesus in the midst of today's world? Let's jump into today's conversation. Well, Carrie, I just want to thank you so much for making time for this conversation today. And the reality is that everyone's world has been so impacted in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so I was just thinking as we start our conversation, why don't you just tell us how your world's been personally impacted in the midst of all of this? Yeah. um, So in many ways, radically, and in other ways, not really. So Hmm. I I have the fortune of being in good health right now. Um, So I'm very thankful, but like literally... I can tell you a dozen people who have been impacted personally by COVID-19, either uh, tested positive for the virus, got symptoms that seemed like the virus, have a parent who's intubated, um, were in self-quarantine. And I'm talking leaders whose names you would know if I shared down to to good friends that uh, have just been friends for a long time. So on the personal front, yeah, it's impacting people I love. I've got uh, parents who are in their 80s and uh, on both sides, Tony's parents, my parents. So we're very sensitive. I mean, right down to canceling my dad's 80th birthday party um, because oh, we wow. wanted him to be healthy. That was really hard in uh, on March yeah. 13th when that still s- seemed like early adoption. 
through to putting myself into social distancing and so on. But, you know, uh, very practically, uh, I had six months of travel and speaking just basically vaporize overnight. As we're recording this today, I was supposed to be in Australia. Actually, I think tomorrow interviewing Mark Sayers. Uh, we had it all set mm. up and we were going to hang out at uh, Red Church in Melbourne and Melbourne. But, you know, that all that all changes in a heartbeat. And um, so so that was radically different. I've been on the phone yeah. pretty much every day for two weeks with Jeff Brody, my successor, who's doing an unbelievable job. But he's like, Carrie, when have you led through a situation like this? I'm like, ah, no, I haven't. Uh, even the other yeah. day, he's like, you've read through, led through economic depressions before. And I did in the 90s, the 2000s. I led through SARS. I, I led through 9-11. I led through the big recession in 08, 09. And like, it just wasn't anything like this. This is just a, yeah. a global... Um, constellation of events that are devastating. Like if somebody, you know, I've thought about this a couple of times, but you know, if somebody said on January 1st, Jason, here's what's going to happen by March. There'll be a virus that is killing tens of thousands of people worldwide. Uh, countries are going to lock down their borders. Uh, airlines will stop flying. People will be stranded globally. You'll be in quarantine or lockdown in your home. All non-essential businesses will shut down. There'll be a global state of emergency by almost every government. And there'll be the biggest economic crash in 80 to 100 years. You would have said, are you kidding me? And yet that's exactly yeah. where we find ourselves in as we record this podcast. So I've been very fortunate. I mean, I run a digital organization. That's what com is. That's what it always was. Um, I've always run it from my home. I have six other staff members who are sort of distributed. And so in many ways, it's been business as usual because the internet didn't die. The physical yeah. locations died. And so I get to do a podcast. I get to do interviews. Uh, so I've done some pivoting. Uh, yeah. In place of all the speaking, I partnered up with the Barna Group, David Kinneman, and an organization out of Colorado called Glue, G-L-O-O, and we've launched a second podcast. Remember, I used to have two. It was called the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast or something. So yeah, whatever happened now to that old thing? I don't know. There's some young guy running it, and he's doing a great job. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we started a second podcast called Church Pulse Weekly, which takes real-time data uh, under the auspices of Barna and puts it in the hands of church leaders. So we just started that this week as we're recording. I'm also recording on Friday a free course called How to Lead Through Crisis. It'll be free. Like we do paid courses and we're like, this is not the season for paid courses. Uh, this is the season for free. So we pivoted on that and mm. found some partners with that. So we hope to be able to equip 10,000 leaders with a free course on leading through crisis. Uh, that'll go to market in literally. So talk about pivoting. Yeah. Like an idea, a phone call with Brad Lominick, David Kinneman, and Scott Beck from Glue uh, on Monday, whatever that was, the 16th, became a live webcast by the following Monday, became a podcast <laughs> by the following Monday. And then this idea of let's do a free course will be to market within two weeks, finished, uploaded, free wow. to all users. So we're pivoting really fast. The team's leaning in. We're trying to equip church leaders, uh, giving away a lot of free stuff right now, and just trying to help people make sense in the most confusing time yeah. I, I remember in my lifetime. I feel like um, one of the things that is fun to talk to you about is you've been ready in some in some weird ways for a long time. You've got a remote business. You were pushing yeah. church online before. That was cool to talk about. 
And so yeah. you, I just, I'm just thankful for you. You're uniquely positioned to speak into this time. And one of the things I've noticed following you on Instagram, and you've been doing a lot of Instagram TV and sharing from your heart, is you've, you've found the courage to speak about sensitive things. I think a lot of church leaders mm. right now are being asked to comment. And it can be terrifying because the, the information is changing. Sometimes information is divisive on different political sides, wherever it might be. And we're being asked as leaders to give a word of comfort or direction. I just wonder, can you speak a little bit about how you find the courage to say and speak online, anyone's listening, in the midst of absolutely uncertain times? Yeah, it's, it's hard um, to really find that line. So what I do think about is, you know, first of all, I've got a couple of laps. I've been at this for a long time. So that helps you. I don't want to say you care less because I care an awful lot. But I also realize that there are opportunities to speak into this that are unique to the situation I'm in mm. in life. And um, there's a, like nobody has led through this. Now, I've got a few laps of other crises under my belt. So I feel like, you know, it is probably going to be okay, but it's going to be different. And I feel like this one is an acceleration of so many things. As you said, you know, when I was still lead pastor in 2014 and we built our broadcast location, it seems like 100 years ago now, right? But when we built our broadcast location for Conexus, my joke at the time, and if I toured you through the building, I would have said this seven, six years ago, is we built a broadcast studio with a church attached. Because mm -hmm. I just knew that most people were going to experience church in the future through the lens of a camera, not in person. And that that was our best evangelism um, outreach, even back in 2013, 2014, when we were designing this. And we designed it with that in mind. So, if, I mean, for Jeff to be able to flip a switch and say, okay, we're 100% online because we can't yeah. meet in person was not that big a stretch. So I think there is a unique positioning. Future is my top strength. But as far as the courage to say, I mean, sometimes I'm pushing it a little bit. I said something today, and I know this is going to come out in a couple of weeks, but there's talk right now. And again, everything, this could change by dinner today. But you know, the president of the United States is talking about needing to get the economy moving and we're going to open up our buildings again. So literally yeah. before I jumped on here, I posted a video to IGTV and I said, you know, church leaders, think about this. Do you really want to kill millions of people so you can get back in your building? Like, is that really what's at stake? Probably 30-year-old me wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have known to say it. But I really think you have to be able to think through what is actually at stake in this moment. And I'm looking even at my own behavior. I really do want to get my hair cut, but like, I don't want to endanger somebody else. I, I, I feel like going to a restaurant with friends and I don't want to endanger. You can't do that, but I wouldn't do it right now. And I think we're in a position where the church has to lead in this area. And I think mm -hmm. it also puts us, I think it probably helps that I'm not leading a church day to day right now. I mean, I'm still founding, teaching pastor, et cetera, at Conexus, and I've got a series coming up, but that's not the same load that lead pastors are carrying. So it gives me a little more time to reflect, a little more mm -hmm. time to look in from the outside. And I think I can see the issues more clearly. And I also realize there's a lot of selfishness. Like here's, here's what got caught in the crosshairs is as much as we've said, we're really about reaching people, we're really taking online seriously, most of us run an analog operation in a digital world. And we judge everything based on how many people actually turned up on a Sunday morning. And we take the angle, 
you know, with the camera from the, the, the camera angle that makes the room look the most full so we can feel good about ourselves. And, <laughs> and, I didn't know anyone knew that we did that. No, I don't know. Nobody ever does that. I've never done no. that in my life, just so you know. <laughs> we all do it, right? But I can call this stuff out on myself. And I think a lot of what I'm doing, you know, people are like, how did you know? It's like, I feel that stuff. I, I feel that stuff. And so I get to call it out in me. And I hope I do it from a posture of humility in, in that I'm not saying, look at you. I'm mm. like, you know, here's, here's, here's a reality. We are all in a place where we're scared. We don't know what's ahead. Um, all the metrics that we valued are gone. Giving is down. Attendance is down. And we don't know really how to measure eyeballs on a screen yet. Um, yet this is a tremendous opportunity. So what I'm trying to do is just call out myself, call out the stuff I feel in me, call out what I see, but also in a way that hopefully points us to a future. Because a critic, you know, a critic in and of itself, that doesn't really have any value. Um, yeah. So I want to try, I don't think we know the way, but I think we can point. And so what I'm mm. hoping to do is to be able to point. And you also have to frame everything very conditionally right now, as I just did, because it could change by dinner. And yeah. it'll change by the time this is aired. And so I think if you have that, you know, you and, and, and the filter I still try to run stuff through. I don't always get it right, Jason. But the filter I try to run stuff through is just helpful. Is this going to help church leaders? And then I read mm. all the comments and, uh, and try to say, okay, this one kind of missed the mark or this one hit. Um, but this takes courage. It takes courage to do that. And even when I kind of called out today, <laughs> you know, maybe I'll live to regret this. Uh, we really have to think, okay, if the government allows us to go back in the U.S. or in Canada, and this is a Canadian Church Leaders podcast, we still have to ask the question, is it the best thing to do so? Because Christians should be known for being generous. And sometimes yeah. that means being generous in our restraint or generous in mm. our caution or generous in the way we love people uh, is not just, oh, great, we're going to fill up the building and fill up the offering plate and everything will be fine again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that this week, a lot of people are, if they haven't already, are thinking, how do I get church online? Maybe that was last Sunday. Mm. If not last Sunday, it's this week. That's what we're working on. A lot of churches are just saying, hey, I didn't have the tools in place. Once Sunday online is figured out, what else should church leaders be thinking about? Because that's like, I think all of our tension's there, but I think a, once the next Sunday's gone and that's happening, I think we're going to start going, there's probably a whole other set of opportunities and challenges to face. What else do you think church leaders should be considering in this new ministry season? So you can call this in different ways, but just to give a little context, you know, our parents kind of grew up in the consumer culture and the idea was you were buying commodities and about 15, 20 years ago, maybe in the nineties, we started to emerge into the experience economy. And now we're moving into the attention economy where mm -hmm. really, if you look at how we function with our phones and with our devices. It's mostly built around attention. And that's why you have the 24-hour news cycle always vying for your attention, etc. And I, I love the way you frame the question, Jason, because you're right. Everyone is thinking about how to get Sunday online. But the thing about the internet is it functions 24 hours a day, seven days right. a week. And there are people Googling stuff like, should I end my life at three mm -hmm. o'clock in the morning? And there are families, I mean, as much as we're all joking about working from home, my wife and I have talked about it. Like, I'm not sure that's a great experience for everybody. We're having a right. good time because we got three decades of marriage under our belt. 
But like, I bet you there's some tension in homes nobody wants to talk about. And so my question would be, even when things go toward a new normal and we're back in our buildings is, okay, how are we speaking into the other 167 hours of the week? You know, for years I've been arguing that engagement is a new church attendance, that engage Christians change the world, not attending Christians or consumer Christianity. But I think churches have to move off Sunday. Sunday worship is going to be really, really important. Um, But, you know, on on my own platform, since I stepped out of the lead pastor role, I've been emailing leaders almost every day for two years, well, over two years now. And, you know, it's 58,000 leaders a day. And believe it or not, there are people who are grateful to hear. You get a few Mm. unsubscribes every day, but way more subscribes than unsubscribes. Um, You know, podcasting, look at that. Like, it's crazy to see how many people will listen to a podcast on on a drive or on the way to the gym or on a run. Um, What I love seeing right now is all the experimentation online. Mm. And there's a lot of people, I mean, you're doing stuff on Instagram, right? Where, Where you do, what do you call it? Uh, it's called social distancing with Ben and Jay. And yeah, we're yeah, trying to, yeah. and you know, we're trying to engage high school students, which, uh, you know, it's, it's so interesting because I've got this kind of polarized two different audiences. Like I'm a church leader, I'm a church planner. And I love speaking to church leaders like here, but then through our work with alpha, there's this audience of high school students. And I was kind of like, well, listen, what if this was an opportunity for high school students to start reading the Bible every day and thinking theologically and I'm like, well, we'll give it a shot. And it's embarrassing, man. And it's, it is, uh, it takes like a, a getting over ourselves to just put out there. But who knows? I think this is maybe a new opportunity for deeper discipleship than ever before. Well, I agree. See, and I, I think that is the future. And I think people, yes, definitely get your service online, get it streamed. But like, that's the starting line, not the finish line. Hmm. And in some of the early data that uh, David Kinneman and I have been collecting through this Church Pulse Weekly, it was something like, and, and David will know the exact number, but about 48% either couldn't stream their services online or had no way of tracking what was happening. And mm. so you look at that, I imagine the Canadian stat is probably even a little more challenging than that, where it's perhaps over half of all pastors are like, yeah, you know, and, and what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to get people to come to the mall in the age of Amazon. We're mm. like mall owners going, why don't you come here and shop at this department store and people are going, I just hit one click and he's going to deliver it to my door tomorrow for free. So uh, we're, 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 we're trying to be an analog organization in a digital world. And I think that's a problem. So I think we need to innovate. Um, you think about it. I, most pastors I know, they want to encourage people daily. They, you know, yeah. if you met someone in a coffee shop, it would be like, how are you doing? What's going on? Like, how's your family? Well, the internet makes that possible. And we have this weird relationship with technology and it's not real. And, you know, the online isn't like, that's not real ministry and those aren't actual people. Well, you tell Amazon, those are not actual people. Okay. (laughs) Like you tell Apple, those are not actual consumers. Like I I, I don't get it. And here we are, you know, you're in Vancouver. I'm north of Toronto Uh, via Zoom. We're having a real conversation and mm-hmm. I'm recording it on my end. You're recording it on your end. So everyone's going to think we were in the same room, but we're not. And we're having a real conversation. Like I, I yeah. would call this a real interview. Would you? I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is, what's interesting is um, I was thinking for the longest time, like, oh man, I'm going to fly around. I'm going to have to do all this work. How will I find the time to do the things that I want to do? And what this season is forced is actually we can do more. And I thought that marginal like that on the margin, there'd be a decrease in quality. 
But what I'm realizing is that the market is open to run and gun content, authentic content. They're even willing to listen to a little lag on a digital conversation because it's real time and it's relevant. So let me give you real-time numbers on that, and and I hope this comes across in the right spirit. But I was scheduled to be in Australia. It's now March 2021. We've rescheduled that trip. There would probably have been 2,000 church leaders at the conference, and maybe I would have spoken to five or 6,000 people on the weekend. So let's just round up and say I was going to meet 10,000 people from a trip around the world that would take about two and a half weeks of my life. Since I've been grounded, which is less than the time I would have been in Australia, through digital, we've been able to help over 150,000 people with just some of the blog posts. Actually, it's probably higher than that. It's probably, if you include the emails, more like a quarter million people through Instagram, podcasting, blogging. And what we did with that extra time was I just said, well, now I have lots of time to actually write a whole bunch, a whole new series of blog posts. I've been posting a daily mm-hmm. Instagram and, uh, you know, and, and just take some zeros away. It doesn't really matter. But, but my point simply is that we probably have had a 10x impact from not being able to be in the room. So mm-hmm. just stop and think about that for a moment. If you're really serious about reaching your city, if you're really serious about reaching your your region, or like our mutual friend Mark Clark, if you're yeah. really serious, I mean, Mark <laughs> and I talk almost every day, you know, he's now got a home studio set up, yeah. and he's going to reach way more people than, than when he flies out and does a live event. Uh, we've already talked about this with my team. We're redeploying some of the live event people that work with me into new areas on digital. Mm. I don't know that live events are going to be the same when we go back in conference Mm. world. I don't think church is going to be quite the same when we go back. And there's all this opportunity in front of the church today to really, if you actually care about people and you really care about introducing them to the gospel and you really want to help them, there has never been a greater opportunity right now. And I got a guy on my blog this morning going, what if the internet breaks? I'm like, how can you be asking that question? <laughs> like, if it breaks, I'm pretty sure someone's going to be pretty motivated to fix it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would assume, and if I'm wrong, you'll never know because nobody able to reach me. But, um, you know, like... <laughs> well, we'll pivot. Well, that's the thing is like what we're doing we'll now. Pivot. We'll, pi- we'll Then pivot we become and- an analog organization. Right. Yeah, I don't think uh, it's going to happen. However, <laughs> however, we, we new opportunities. You know what's interesting? Some of the language people I find myself using is in person versus online, and I right. just think it's like pull the verses out and put an and there. It's like none of us are are trying. Anyone making a case for online isn't saying instead of altogether or and get rid of. It's like I think as a pastor, I'm thinking. This has forced me to learn a new set of tools to work out some new muscles. In the future, man, people are going to be more hungry than ever to be in person. Yeah, let's do in-person alpha. Let's do in-person church. And now we'll have this whole other toolkit. It's like air attack, ground attack, or however you want to look at it. Yeah, and it's not either or. I think that's really, really important. It is both and. I'm I'm mm. radically committed to people. I'm going to have dinner right now in this moment in time with my wife in person tonight, and it's not going to get a lot bigger than that for a little while. But like, I can't wait to connect with people in yeah. person. I can't wait for our church to reconvene. But I think it's it's going to be different. Um, you you know John Mark Comer, right? Yeah, he's he's a really good example because he would be. You know, he's the ant, not anti-digital, but like be cautious about digital guy yeah. in a digital age. And the way he's getting his message out is via digital. 
Yeah. So this is really fascinating. He's got this big podcast. He's got this smaller size church that has a massive footprint. And when he goes to Vancouver, he'll fill a room with 1,500 leaders in person, but reach far more people online. I think that is the world that we live in. And the church is really, really good at analog. We have to figure out digital. I, I had the mm. privilege yesterday of spending an hour with Bobby Grunwald, who virtually, again, in this culture, yeah. uh, but who started Uversion and Church Online, literally invented the Bible app. And that's a long story for another day. But, you know, Bobby was saying that they're now at over 400 million installs on the wow. Uversion app. And that was born out of his desire and his love to to have people read the Bible. And so you think about physical Bibles, which we all have in our house, but I've, I use Uversion every day and 400, people, 400 million people uh, join us to be able to do that. And so mm. you got to just ask yourself, why are we so limited on digital and what does this moment make possible? And if you really believe in a sovereign God, which I do, none of this surprises him. And so it's an opportunity for the church to advance. And uh, it's a little bit, I hadn't thought about it from this perspective, but, you know, I I haven't been in Africa, uh, but I know this has happened in Guatemala. Like the 20th century passed by a lot of the majority world technologically. They didn't get phone lines. They didn't get cable. They didn't get uh, that stuff. But when the internet came, like I meet African pastors who come and see me at events And they're like, we read all your stuff. And I'm like, that's crazy. You shouldn't be reading my stuff. I've never been to Africa. I don't understand Africa. And they're like, Carrie, the internet has changed everything. And sometimes Mm. their their cell phones and Wi-Fis will be more adept than ours. And so I think this is an opportunity for the church, which missed the early days of the internet for the most part, to have that quantum leap into the future. And Mm. if you're going back to the way it used to be, and that's your hope, I think you're missing out on the opportunity God's bringing us right now. Mm -hmm. One of the things I was hoping to talk to you about, this isn't exclusive to this COVID-19 pandemic context, but it's just the new opportunity that you have in your life as your audience grows beyond church leaders to business leaders, thought leaders, young entrepreneurs. And a lot of that is because you've leaned to the digital space. And it seems like, and correct my language if there's a better word, but there's almost like an evangelistic opportunity in your life or a way to represent and subvert maybe some cultural narratives about Christianity. And I'm just thrilled. Whenever I see you were at South by Southwest last year, I'm like, yes, I love that carry. <laughs> yeah, I was going to be there again a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, not happening So anymore. much for that. Nope. <laughs> Can you talk about that new opportunity? I mean, it's not new. It's been going on for years, but just as you've been able to give yourself more and more to having an audience way beyond the church, what that means to you and what you feel like maybe God's doing in the midst of that. Yeah, I'm very excited about that opportunity, Jason, and I'm I'm excited that you saw it too. That's been a, a subject of deep prayer for me. So going back three decades, when I was in law in Toronto, Um, You know, it was the middle of law school. I went in as a Christian, recommitted my life to Christ, but it was in the middle of law school I experienced a call to ministry. And I did my year of law in downtown Toronto among the bank towers and really had a heart for people there. And even when I was in seminary, they wanted me to go be a chaplain. And I'm like, I'm not a chaplain. Like, so we created a chaplaincy in the Toronto Dominion Center. You know, the black bank towers in downtown Toronto. I went to the 30th floor of King and Bay and basically ministered to burned out executives there for a semester and loved it, loved it. Mm. And I thought that was my calling. 
And mm. I thought, great, I'm going to pastor a church in Toronto. I'm going to be able to minister to people who kind of have it all, but on the inside are maybe a little bit empty or searching for the meaning of life. Kind of what Alpha seeks to do, right? On a, on a different level. And I'm like, this is it. And then God called me an hour north of Toronto to the middle of nowhere to these little tiny rural churches. And here I am two and a half decades later. And I'm like, what happened to that call? And then I realized as I sort of stepped away from day-to-day leadership and we did succession at Conexus that, oh, wow, all of a sudden these business leaders started showing up on my podcast and reading my blog. And we'd get comments like, I know this is for church leaders, but it works in the business world too. So yeah, those have been doors that God has opened. And of all the speaking that got canceled, the ones I'm most uh, disappointed in were the business events that were coming on the horizon. Um, mm. There was a shift going on in live speaking. God will bring it back. It's all up to him. Where I was speaking more to business leaders than even church leaders, which is great. I never want to ever abandon the church. But like that's rare air to be able to get there. Or even at South by Southwest, that was a great experience. And I was so excited about being back there in 2020 until they canceled the event. Um, but just hanging out with young entrepreneurs who are 23, 24, 25, and looking at the people who would attend a talk there, and you've got the CTO for Google sitting in your breakout. And you're like, what? Um, yeah. the, Christians don't get into that space very often. And John Maxwell has been able to do that. John Acuff has been able to do that. And there are a few others. So if God ever opened that door, I would be very excited about Mm -hmm. speaking there because that is a unique set of challenges. And people don't understand. We in the church, we're great at speaking to the down and out as we should be. You know, has life been hard? Your marriage broken up? You've got a disease, you know, your financial problems, whatever. We are great at that. And, 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 and I've, I've got a heart for that, obviously. But we don't know what to say to success. And mm-hmm. what a lot of people don't understand is that you get to know some very successful people, and there's a whole other set of challenges underneath that. Mm-hmm. Um, often there's family breakdown. Often, uh, you know, there's those quotes by Jim Carrier or Brad Pitt, I wish everybody could get rich and famous because then they'd see it's not the answer. Um, you really end up leave, like living out the book of Ecclesiastes. I built mm. it all. I've done it all. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Or, you know, if somebody's relatively happy, you know, they're five questions away from going, huh, never thought about that before. So I, I think that's an opportunity for every church leader. As I've crafted messages myself at Connexus over the last few years, I try to think a lot more, not just about how does this hit the person who's going through, you know, the trough, the bottom of this season of life. But what about the person in the back row whose friend brought them? And he's like, actually, Neilhoff, my life's pretty good. Got a nice house. Mm -hmm. You know, even this, this financial downturn hasn't really hit me. Yeah, I lost a little bit of my net worth. But, you know, I'll tell you what, I don't like myself. And I don't really like my family right now. And I'm thinking of cheating on my wife. And I bought my dream car. And uh, it doesn't make me happy. And um, even when I was vacationing, <laughs> it, it didn't answer my questions. It's like, who's speaking to that person? Because yeah. I promise you they live in your community. Hmm. Well, I just want you to hear this from me. I'm just thrilled, man. Like, I love hmm. that you've led in the church and you continue to lead in the local church. I know you love the local church and you're helping pastors like me all the time. Innovate, think differently. Um, but I just personally am just thrilled that 
God sending guys like you into other spaces. Um, I'm really excited about this time of history. I just think that God is on the move on planet earth. Um, and people are hungry. I think, you know, the wave of new atheism is kind of gone. It's not that people aren't asking, there's less, there's less atheists mm-hmm. than there were 20 years ago. There's a lot of agnostics. There's a lot of people who are maybe still skeptical about religious institutions for sure. But there's an openness and we need people like you out there to subvert the old narratives that people are living under about what a Christian is or what a pastor even looks like. And so I'm just grateful. I just wanted to well, hear that Well, Jason, I really appreciate that. And, and likewise, I'm so grateful for what you're doing too, to see someone who's, you know, not very long into this and making such a big difference, first in Alpha, but then around the world and in changing the narrative. And I think you're right. There is a real difference. I was doing some research this morning, just even on money habits of millennials versus Gen Z. Uh, Mm. Gen Z, you know, early indications, uh, there's some shifts going on there. And they're uh, a little more open, a little more curious. um, And uh, maybe even, you know, financially, they pay cash more often. They're a little more suspect of debt. I mean, there's all these things. And so often we create this meta narrative where everything is dark and we need yeah. a problem to solve. And there are lots of problems out there, but there's also great opportunity. And one of the things I really appreciate about what you bring to the Canadian church is a voice of optimism. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you can, you've demonstrated what's possible and I think we need that. Laurel Buckingham on the East Coast would talk about that. I'm sure you know him. And, uh, you know, he would, he would say that that's really what we need is we, we just need this believability. And he's done this whole tour of the East Coast of like believability. And, uh, and I think we need more of that in the Canadian. We need more of that in the church. When I travel to the mm-hmm. U.S., I see a lot more believability there. Where And sometimes, you know, it's like, really? And they're like, oh, yeah, we can do this. Um, but we need more of that in Canada. And you bring that mm-hmm. in spades. Oh, I love that about you. You're very kind. Um, if you got more time, I'd love just to lean into oh, yeah. a bit of a I different theme that I think is relevant right now. A lot of people are taking their teams remote and you've been doing this with a remote team and teaching about mm. it, but the alpha staff here in Canada, my church plant team, we've gone in like a week from, we had all these weekly meetings in person. We had office spaces that we went to, to do work. And now we're completely scattered. We're all trying to upgrade our Wi-Fi as fast as possible. So we don't get <laughs> cut out on zoom. Yeah. And, uh, the internet providers are making good money right now while other people are not, but Hey, give us some, some thoughtful, uh, you've got experience with some advice for how to both motivate teams remotely, but then practical things like how do we actually bring execution when we're all scattered? Yeah, um, I have been leading remotely. And even 25 years ago, because the churches were so small, they, they weren't actually heated during the winter. We couldn't afford to heat them. So I worked out of my house. So and this is in Ontario? Been, oh, this is in Ontario. Yeah, oh, yeah. for real. North Cold of Toronto. Winters. Oh, yeah. Like you think of the stereotypical little red brick church. That's where I started. Then we were portable. Then we had a building for a few years. Then we gave it up. So I've been portable, remote, virtual, the majority of my leadership. So this is nothing new. And I actually really enjoy that because like you, I'm a little bit introverted and I prefer uh, some time alone to think and reflect. And I think that's a really important 
thing that you have to do as a pastor and a leader. If you're crafting messages, you need time alone. At least I do to drink from the well. I can't work in coffee shops because it's too loud. I'm ADD. So being home has always been a good place for me. So what is the key? It's surprisingly the technology, everyone gets hung up on Zoom or, you know, how are you going to do this? And what about online and Dropbox? And those are just simple tools. But at the end of the day, it's the art of leading people. And Mm. I found the most important thing, there's two superpowers in leading a virtual team. One is culture. Now, this Mm. is a problem in in in-person offices, but also a a, a remote thing will just, if you've got a little tiny crack in person, it is a wide chasm online. And so Mm. I've become somebody who's really passionate in the last decade about creating a healthy culture. So we have defined team values at the church, and we have defined team values as a company. So mine are sitting right over there on the fireplace. Uh, Serve First is one that my team is really leaning into in these first uh, few weeks of the crisis. Um, Another one would be um, choose trust. Am I believing the best or assuming the worst? Another one is err on the side of generosity. And what defined values, you can, you know, people often think of values being like prayer and scripture. No, that's your belief system. And that's really, really Mm -hmm. important. But values ask the question of how do you do what you do and who are you? Like when you're not in the same room, all right? And my team has never been in the same room. Your mission had better be crystal clear. Um, In our church, it's to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Uh, In my company, it's to help people thrive in life and leadership. So they know, okay, my job today is to help people thrive in life and leadership. They also know that the way we're going to do it, if I've got a call to make, even in this economy or especially in that, I'm going to err on the side of generosity. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to choose trust. I can't see you right now, but I'm going to believe the best. I'm not going to assume the worst. So those values really knit your team together. And you can't just write them out. I had them participate in the formation and articulation of those values. And then we go through them at team meetings where it's like, how have you seen us battle mediocrity this week? Uh, that's another one of the values. So that's really number one is your your cultural values, your mission, your vision. They're the glue when you're not in the same room. The second is video. Um, I should have bought shares in Zoom, right? That's what everyone says five <laughs> weeks ago if you knew this was coming. Whether it's Zoom or Skype or FaceTime or um, you know any kind of video platform, Zoom is sort of industry standard right now. Um, That is so important because you miss so much of the nuance in management by email. So many offices are poorly run, but I think you have to have a triage system for how you handle information on a virtual team. I write about it on my blog. We can link to it if you want a little bit later. But to give you the short one, um, the worst way to manage is managing by email. That's when you end up with 10,000 emails in your inbox that are unread, where you get the reply all chains that never end. It's tremendously inefficient. So we have a hierarchy system where almost everything that can wait, waits for a weekly meeting, which is held by video. We do it Mm. via Zoom. And I just check in with people. I'm like, okay, because most stuff that presents as urgent is not urgent. It's just not that urgent. It's like it could wait till Thursday. We also use Slack. So Slack is just a tool. But our rule for Slack is Slack is sort of the messaging that would normally go in email that can't wait for our weekly meeting. And then email is for outside organizations. Um, so what we do is if we're setting up a podcast interview with you because you don't work on our direct team, that would be a conversation by email, but I will not email a coworker because we're trying to keep their, their inbox short. So that either waits for the weekly meeting or goes to Slack. 
Texting wow. is kind of super emergency. Like that's like, okay, I need you and I need you before you go into your next meeting or right away. And then phone call is a nuclear option. Like mm. if I, I made a phone call yesterday, we had to make a change on the podcast in real time because I'm talking to the CEO of a major company who says, uh, yeah, that's not actually accurate. And all of a sudden I'm calling my podcast manager and she yeah. knows pick up. Okay. That's the hotline. So you don't have to use that system, but the point is you need a system because mm. what, what you don't have the ability to do with a remote team is to knock on the door. And the reason we default to video for most of our communication, other than Slack, Slack or text messages is you lose so much nuance via text. I can't tell. Are you happy? Are you upset? It's really difficult to read um, writing. And so I find that things just go a lot better. And if there's a hint of conflict, take it out of Slack, take it off text, go to video and kind of work it out eyeball to eyeball. Or, or at least if you can't get to video because of a Wi-Fi connection or whatever, call the person because then you have the nuance of tone of voice. So that human to human connection is really, really important. And that's sort of the crash course on leading virtual teams. Oh, thanks for walking us through that. Um, follow up question is how do we know? Cause it's, it's all happened so fast. And I know that our teams are feeling all sorts of things, anxiety, stress. Mm -hmm. Some people are thriving right now. You know, this is yeah. like, and that's interesting. And they, so they're, but we did this thing on our alpha staff call. Where we just sort of, did a number system, how you do physically, emotionally, spiritually, and everyone's in different spots. And uh, what struck me was people's need for community in the midst of being separated. How do you, mm -hmm. even with your team, in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic, but even beyond that, weigh out the need for cultivating community versus getting the work done on whether it's those video calls or your rhythms? How have you created community in the midst of being remote? Yeah, interestingly enough, Jason, it hasn't been that much of an adaptation for us. Um, because I've had this this principle for years that I've learned, which is when I check in with a staff member, I ask them how they're doing before I ask them what they're doing. And mm. in a non-crisis situation, sometimes that's a really short conversation. How's your week going? But literally in the middle of this COVID-19 week two, week three of the crisis, I've got one staff member getting married, two who are moving houses, and two who are pregnant. And so you look, and the two who are pregnant are also moving. So in the midst of this, we're launching a new podcast and launching a free course. Plus our traffic is way up and yeah. you know what? They're all thriving and mm. uh, I'm, it's a little surreal to me, but I'm having the conversation with them and I'm just like, are you sure you're okay? Are you good? Are you fine? And so in a normal condition, Normally, that's a short conversation. How's your week, Jason? Good. You know, had a good time on the weekend. Kids are fine. We're loving our new place. Great. Okay, let's talk about what you're doing. But that's sometimes when people confide in you and they're like, you know what? I'm really having some struggles right now. And uh, here's what's going on at home or here's what's going on inside. Or I think it's the weather. Like, I think I have seasonal affective disorder. Or, um, yeah, there's been a lot of conflict at home lately. And you just kind of listen. And I'm not mm. their doctor, I'm not their counselor, I'm not their therapist, but I am their boss. And what I've learned is that people bring their whole self to work. And mm. so when they bring their whole self to work, if, if I'm really distracted or tired or frustrated, that's going to show up in, in the quality of my work. And so it's better for me as a boss to be aware of it. And, you know, sometimes I'll pray with them. Sometimes I'll say, thank you for sharing that. And often just talking about it 
makes it feel better. I know from my time in pastoral ministry, uh, back when I used to do counseling, people would come into my office and they would unload these, and any pastor listening knows this, these bombs, like just stuff that was going on in their life. And I would ask them, because I barely knew their name. And it's like, who else are you talking to about this? Mm. And the number one answer was nobody. Because people live alone. And so I think for my team, I lean in that way. And then for myself, I just have friends I'm checking in with. I've got, I've got people I'm calling. Back in the days when we could visit people, we would visit them. And so I got local friends. And then I've got global friends that I check in with on a regular basis. And uh, those relationships are really, really important to me. And even now, I can't see my parents. I haven't seen them in three or four weeks. But uh, I'm FaceTiming them every day. And that's fine. Mm. So get to see them and uh, get to encourage them. So yeah, I think I think we make do. But those the other the other thing I would say about leaders and relationship is often we have the false sense of community in the church when we're pastors or when you're leading a company or organization because you're surrounded by people, whether that's physically or virtually, you're surrounded by people. Like we were joking when we started recording that all day is on Zoom these days, right? So you think, oh, wow, I'm surrounded by people. I have lots of people. Yeah, but if you're the leader, you're in a giving relationship with those people. And Mm. that means that you're there to support them. You're there to help them. And they may be, you may be friendly with them, you may consider them friends, but you need to have people in your life that you don't work for them, they don't work for you, they're just your friends, you can just talk. I, I talked to one the other day for his birthday, and I mean, he had me almost falling off the couch laughing. And it's like, you need, you need friends like that in your life. And um, a lot of us in leadership don't have them. So it's really important to nurture those relationships because you're surrounded by people. You think, oh, I got all these friends. And it's like, yeah, they're great people. But like friends fill you up and you fill them up. And often when you're in a leadership position, it's a little draining because you're giving all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Carrie, I'm very, very grateful for your time today. And uh, just one more question. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, You know, you're... You're handing over this podcast, which I just think is so kind, and we're excited to carry on a Canadian conversation and include Global Voices, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, and you've put a lot of sweat equity into the church in Canada, locally in Ontario, but invested. What are you dreaming when you think like in your heart of hearts as you sort of, you know, you're praying for the church in Canada or you're dreaming about the church in Canada? What's what's on your heart? What are you hoping for? That's a great question. And I would say I want to see vision again. I see it in little tiny pockets, little tiny places. Um, but I think it's time to dream again. And mm-hmm. I think it's it's time to switch the default. I think the default in the Canadian church for too many years has been, here's why this won't work. And here's why we can't do it. And I think it's time to change the default to, I think we can. With God's help, we can. We can reach people. And I see it in pockets. We mentioned Mark Clark. Like, you know, it's not easy to plant a church in every major city, but he's going to die trying. And I love seeing that. You know what Brent Ingersoll is doing on the East Coast and the vision that he's got. Laurel Buckingham, who's 80 now, and, you know, doing this believability tour on the East Coast. Father James Mallon and the amazing work he's doing in renewal. And there are many, many others. There's a lot of Ark Church plants. I mean, I think of Slate Church in Kitchener-Waterloo that's doing a great job. And I mean, I've, I'm 
omitting way too many because I got a million <laughs> names flashing through my head. Um, but there is a growing number of people who are believing that it's possible in Canada, and we need that to become the dominant spirit mm. in our country. And I'm not sure it has been, but I think it can be. And that's one of the reasons I was so excited when I put this podcast on hiatus to say, okay, what's it going to become in the future? And you and I, we were in London, England last spring, and we had the conversation. And I said, well, I think I've found the person who would be a great carrier of that vision and make it far more than I could or would. And so I'm very excited. And I know that's also your heartbeat. And you've got a track record of doing that, which is really cool, Jason. You're kind. I'm all in for the church in Canada. Um, I And I received that word from you, man, of just saying, hmm. you know, uh, to believe and to have vision. And it is happening, like you're saying, in small pockets and names we haven't even heard of. You know, I'm oh, hitting yeah. the ground in some cities and I'm like, it's high school students. It's innovative businessmen. It's even senior church leaders have been doing it for a while, but are in the midst of like incredibly innovative transition plans. I mean, it's happening all over. And I think there's reason to believe uh, good things about the future. So thanks for speaking that into us and Hmm. for giving away so much. Thanks for giving away your experience, this course coming up and all the content you're doing this time. Thanks for being so generous with what you've learned and leading in that way. Well, thanks for being such a good steward of what God has given you, Jason. It's exciting to see. And I, I can't wait to see what the next few decades, what he does through you and through all the people that you help and equip. Well, I was so grateful to have the opportunity to sit down with Carrie, and I hope it was impactful for you as it was for me. And thanks for taking time to listen. I mean, this podcast is really designed to fuel church leaders like yourself, and we're really committed to bringing meaningful content. So our rhythms are typically going to be posting two conversations per month. However, in the midst of the pandemic we're in right now, our instinct is to post more conversations more frequently. So you can expect to see even more than two per month. Our next conversation is with Pastor Daryl Johnson, who's 71, has more than 50 years of pastoral experience, and had a really different perspective on how pastors can find emotional health and clarity in the midst of this season. These are really exciting days as we relaunch this podcast. And our hope would be that we could get this in the hands as many church leaders as possible. So would you help us out by subscribing and sharing it with your network? And if you want to connect with us in any way, you can find us on Instagram at churchleadersnetworkonline, ccln.ca. And if you have any questions or thoughts, feel free to email us, contact at ccln.ca. We'd love to hear from you. Today's episode wouldn't be possible without the partnership of Alpha Canada. In the midst of this pandemic, we've watched as churches across Canada have taken Alpha online. And this is a brand new era for this type of ministry. And if you want to find out more, you can check out alphacanada.org slash alpha online. Thanks so much for being with us today. Talk to you later. Talk to you later.